It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. From Coolidge, Arizona, on October the 22nd, 2017. I don't know where you are, but wherever it is you are, you're in the best place in the world you can be right now, and you're going to make the most of it. We're in Coolidge. That is the best place in the world right now. The temperatures are perfect. And uh, we wish you were all here with us in study today, but we're glad you are where you are, and let's all make the most out of where it is we are. Now, in chapter 13 of the book of Acts, <clears throat> just a couple of highlights without going back anything. In verse 38, the emphasis that he preached unto them, uh, the forgiveness of sin. Uh, nowhere is the preaching ever calling for sinlessness, but the forgiveness of sins having been committed. That's a vital theme. That's, that's the product of the grace of God. People don't buy that. We're going to talk more about that in verse 43 in just a few moments, but that's a great theme. That is the theme of the new covenant, the forgiveness of sin. That brings us into airship. Heirs of Abraham. That the old law in verse 30, 39 just couldn't get people right side up, always kept people wrong side up. But the new covenant, believing in justification in grace, sets people right, gets them on their feet. Folks, that happens everywhere in every community. Every nation under the earth, under any language, that's the issue. Once, once one is freed from all the things that are under the law, free to become a part of what's under entirely under grace, there's a change of life. There were oppositions to this message in verse 42. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words, that we've just been summarizing to you, um, that these words might be preached to those the next Sabbath. They wanted to hear this again. They wanted to expand Paul and Barnabas' audience to the Gentile community because what they were hearing is what they had longed for. And now, now we're going to find in verse, um, um, actually down in verse 45, I think, or verse somewhere in there real soon here, uh, we're going to find that uh, there was a lot of opposition from the Jews toward what it was that the Gentiles were wanting. So let's move into verse 43. This is a critical verse. 
And I want to I want to show you something in the Greek here. Let me read it first. Now, when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas. So they had a good following. They were being followed by the right people. Not following to be manipulated, but following because these men had the source of the information that they needed to be where they needed to be in their relationship with God. And they persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. That isn't how it reads. And I want to I want to express something to you here. Now they followed in in the in that verse uh, verse um, the latter part of verse forty three. I want you to notice that there is no no in the grace of God in this verse. That's often the word is there, but in this word, it's just the grace. But look at the word to continue. Now, let's get a parsing on that. And it's in the active voice. They were to continue. They were being continued. They had a responsibility to actively continue. And then that little preposition at the beginning of that word is the word pros. Pros means toward. So that's why we don't want to put the word in in there because it means they were encouraging these new people to continue toward the grace. The, the people or Paul and Barnabas? Uh, Paul and Barnabas sense. were speaking to them, persuading them, the people, the audience, to continue toward the grace. See my point? Yeah, you got to get the pronouns right. Got to get the pronouns right. Yes. So, good, good point, Alex. So, to continue toward the grace. The place in with toward. In with toward, because the pro, the preposition pros there uh, means toward. Yeah, I wonder, wonder if I didn't bring it in. Or, um, now, that clear manipulation of the wording. Yeah. Again. Again. And we have it so many different ways. I don't know what I did with that pointer. Um, <clears throat> anyhow, now it's really easy to read that verse and then just move right on, isn't it? That's probably what you would prefer me to do, but of course I'm not going to do it what you, however you prefer it is that I do. Y'all don't know that but now. Um, but it means to face the it really means to face grace. Mm-hmm. He was encouraged them face grace. That means put everything else you've been hearing from the law, put that behind you. Make it about face. Continue toward grace. See, that has to be the objective. That understanding of God has to be your objective, or folks, you have no objective at all. You can't find it under the law. The law gets you to continue in guilt. Self-defeatism. Grace is the source of life. It's the source of God's forgiveness. 
And you have to be in it to be a participant of it. And so he's telling these people in their preliminary learning about these matters, you continue, you face grace. Get that as your image. Get that as your objective, as that as your goal, the grace. Look at God's favor. So are you saying, David, that this wording is contradicting itself? The way that it's worded here for us to read is suggesting that they are continuing in something that they have not fully reached yet. And as far as I can tell, they have not fully reached it, and that's why they're wanting to learn more. Paul hadn't preached it yet. Paul hadn't preached it. They hadn't, they hadn't heard. These words might be preached to them the next Sabbath in verse 42. They wanted to know more. And he says, you know, stay on course. But get your, get your face pointed the right way. Continue in your pattern toward grace. Now, you see, everybody else, I'm I'm saying that everybody else in general, look at grace as an operative. Grace is always a a static thing. And, uh, but in, in that static noun, is, is comprehensive of all of the favor of God. You have to be in it to be a participant of the favors of God. You have to be in the building to participate of this air conditioning. And he says, get your, get your lives. He persuaded them. It took persuasion. Continue. That was his objective. Continue going the right way. Most of the people that you talk to who have reached this point in their search for life, if you approach them with this, from this perspective, you are more apt to keep them than if you, if you surrender to legalistic this and that's and all the other things, which we tend to do. We're comfortable with legalism. We're, te- we're comfortable with materialism because we are so conditioned to the law even yet, even as non-Jewish people, we are still materialistic. That's the product of the law. So there is the persuasion here to continue toward, toward the grace. Don't stop short. There is a verse in Hebrews I've just, I, I think it's in chapter 13. Let me see if I can find it real quick. I may not be able to, where that phrase is actually used. <clears throat> Falling short of the grace of God. And I may not be able to find it. It's in the latter chapters or chapter or two of uh, the, bro- the book of Hebrews. And um, I'm there, and I don't see it. Well, that's too bad. I thought I could go right to it. I'll have to move on. Somebody finds it in the meantime. Um, that there's, there is a reason why people stop short of the grace of God. <clears throat> and that's... 12.15. Oh, 12.15, Alex says. Oh, yes. 
Let's go to Hebrews 12. Now, I want to go back to verse 13, verse 11. And you knew that was coming. Verse 11, chapter 12, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. I have never, I have never told my daddy when he was whipping me, boy, that feels good. Would you just keep at it? <laughs> but sorrowful. Now, I can identify with that. You know the reason why a lot of people, never, counseling never does them any good anymore? All we've got multi, multiplicity of counselors everywhere. But I'm going to tell you something right now. Get this straight. That people who have not been disciplined physically by their daddies and their mommies are very seldom capable of responding to psychological counseling. That is something that God has built into our system, that daddies are to be disciplinarians. Sometimes children are so good naturally they don't need to be disciplined. But that's not normal, and it also is an indication that they are going to be limited in how far they can go. Because as Psalms tells us that we, and I don't remember where, uh, that... Uh, our potential for good rests in our potential for evil. If we have no potential for evil, we don't have a lot of potential for good. We might just be kind of borderline folks all the way through. Some folks are like that. But the people who have the greatest potential in doing what's right and doing good and going a big, long ways in life, also have the same potential for doing wrong. And folks, the wrong tendencies have to be corrected, and God assigns that job to whom? Daddy. He assigns that job, not to the mother. Mothers usually do it, and that has dire consequences. It's the father's responsibility to do the discipline and to not spare for the crime. In fact, the fact of the matter is that discipline must continue until the crying stops and there is nothing but the, the, um, the sobbing of remorse. Until that is accomplished, there has no, not been discipline. You don't discipline by screaming. You don't discipline by putting somebody in a corner. That is so psychological damaging, people ought to be hung up and shot as parents, if they do such a cruel thing as that. And I'm not nice about that. Don't intend to be. That's the disciplinarian in me. <laughs> but in, and see, we haven't done that, so we have, to make, we have to make right from where we are. We can't go back and do things over again. And sometimes as disciplinarians, we, do, we, we make mistakes. But it's better to make a mistake, a mistake doing what is intended to be the right thing to do and not be done in anger, but in purpose and objective. All discipline for the moment seems to be joyful. Is that true or false? It's, it's, it's true, but it is sorrowful. That's true. Yet to those who have been trained by it, those who have been trained by it, now, now, those who have been trained by discipline, Trained through sorrow. 
Now, now, now you've got a person, a human being, that is conditioned to accept counsel and help. And until that point, you're wasting your time. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The peaceful fruit. The product of parental discipline. Now, he goes on, in verse, but that, that was free, by the way. And by the way, discipline is never done in anger. And that Hebrews, um, in this verse earlier, tells us that the only proof of love that a child has from his mom and daddy is not that they give him an ice cream cone when he has his tonsils out. The only true proof of love is discipline. And he says, that's how you know that God loves you. And now it becomes individualized that when we suffer the circumstances of life that are God's discipline upon us, we see them as that. And then we allow allow those things to correct uh, uh, us in our lives. Therefore, verse 12, now he says, now in conclusion of that, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. And make straight paths for your feet. Have a plan. Know where you're going. And Paul, in Acts chapter 13, is building on this when he says, continue toward grace. He's saying, make straight paths for your feet. Same idea. Make a straight path for your feet. He's telling these who were just in the process of beginning to become believers, get a path. Stay on that path. Get a straight path toward grace and stay on it. Who's going to have to do that? The individual. Can't be done for them. So make straight paths for your feet. That's an individual responsibility. So that the limb, which is the the, uh, the limb which is lame, may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Now that's a tough one, but it, it is so obvious. If you have, if you have a lame, or a limb, an arm or a leg, and I'm not sure that he's really those are inserted words there. He's just saying so that that which is lame may not be put out of joint. You ever you ever get a, 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 a joint out of joint? Yeah. I swung at a baseball one time when I was in college at Rocky Mountain in Billings, Montana. I swung the bat so hard it threw my right shoulder out of joint, and it never has healed completely. It still froze. But he says, don't, don't let it get out of joint don't let things get out of the right sequence. Get a straight path. Stay put. Don't get out of joint, but be healed. There's the source of healing. That's a whole other theme. Let's look at verse 14. Now pursue peace with those whom you like. And the sanctification, that is the acquiring of God's nature, 
without which no one will see the Lord. Clear? Verse 15. Now, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. If you stop short of the grace of God, if you don't make it all the way in because you haven't kept on path, if you come short of the grace of God, then the results of that roots of bitterness spring up. The purpose of discipline is to keep one on a straight path. But to be on a straight path, you have to know where you're going. That's the responsibility of parenthood, establishing the ideals, the objectives, and then keeping one on path toward those ideals. I've had more people get mad at me about what I'm telling you this morning than any other theme. It's hard because we live in a culture today that is going to pot, and the reason it's going to pot isn't because they're using pot. It's because they haven't practiced this with their parent-children relationships. Now, if you fall short, you're going to have a root of bitterness. So bitterness springs up, and springing up, it causes all kinds of trouble. So if you see somebody that has a troubled life, you have to say, well, there is a root of bitterness here somewhere. Let's get to the root of bitterness. Let's get down to there. And the thing that produces the root of bitterness is somebody hasn't stayed on course all the way long enough to come into the grace of God. That's why Christianity is the only solution to the world's problems, not the Communist Party. And you thought that was it. See, that's the absence of God. All the other parties are really under them. They, all, they are all under the communism. Communism simply means state is God. Same as Confucianism. Same thing. Same thing. All the parties, in, and then it's just a matter of degrees. Well, we believe in God in this respect, but not in that respect. You see, as soon as you start putting God into degrees, you, you know, that's what people do with the Spirit. Well, we believe in the Spirit, but we believe in it more than you do. So it's a matter of degree. The whole thing is wrong. So we have to come back to realize that there is, there is grace. What the grace of God is, Jesus came to establish the grace of God. We move into the grace of God. If we don't get there, if we fall short of it, we allow ourselves to be sidetracked by anything, materialism, politics, anything like that. Anytime we found our, find ourselves falling short of our objective of getting within the confines of the grace of God, there is going to be a root of bitterness that springs up and it's going to be the cause of any trouble that you experience in life. And until you get to the root of bitterness and why there's a root of bitterness, you can't solve anybody's problem, including your own. 
That's why Paul is telling them in Acts 13, verse 43, you continue toward the grace of God. I wanted to emphasize that you never forget that it's not to continue in the grace of God. They may not have been in the grace of God yet, but the, the reading is toward the grace of the God. Don't fall short. Don't stop shy. Why? Because of what it says in Romans chapter 12 and verse um, 15. Is that clear? You may not like it, but that doesn't affect whether it's right or wrong. And it doesn't mean that we can go back and do things over again in life. We can't do that. We have to go from where we are. That's a part of being in the grace and not continuing and not stopping short. That once we're there, we realize we can't go back out and solve our problems. They have to be solved within the graciousness of God. And that gives us all the freedom in the world to be problem solvers, not problem inducers or, or, or problem incubators. It's your choice. You can either be incubating trouble or you can be solving it. Question. Yes. Uh, understand clearly how, uh, how our path of moving towards the grace, we, we, we have the word for that. Right. That, uh, the word can isolate us from the, uh, how did you put it, the getting, getting side, sidetracked on politics or, or a power play or whatever might come along. What did these believers have besides the words of Paul and Barnabas? Well, I mean, the, uh, even the Gentiles, they might have known of the law, but, but they, they might have been familiar with it, but what did, they, what did they have besides the words? All they had was found in Romans chapter 1. Let's go back there. Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> Actually, um, Romans chapter 2. Let's go to chapter 2. I'm going to start with verse 13, but my point is in verse 14. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law that they will be justified. Now, that's addressing what people in chapter 1? Jews. The Jews. Now, when Gentiles who do not have a law or the law or any law, They do instinctively the things of the law. Now, I'm getting to uh, Nolan's question here. These having a law are a law to themselves in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. Now, he is saying, I think, the Jews had a law, and he's speaking about here the law that has to do with horizontal relationships. Mm -hmm. 
And the Gentiles, he is saying, are evidence that every human being has an instinctive sense of order. And that's the law. The law was order. The order of society. Alexander the Great was a Greek, and he had the instincts to make straight roads and paths for people to follow all over Italy and everywhere else. Yeah, I've been on some of those. Yeah, so what? Yeah, so it's a great experience. So that's a great example of instinctual thinking, uh, organization, and... Um, how do you win any wars without any organization? Yes. That's right. So, and look what he did with the law. I mean, with the Greek, the language. Scientifically developed the language that we count on today, that God used for his people to speak so that we would have a precise, scientifically-based language called the Greek. Now, so there is an order that is instinctive to humanity with or without the law in the respect that he's referring to the law here. Do we also use your term of having a God-shaped void? Having that, and I borrowed that from, I think, C.S. Lewis. Okay. A God-shaped void. And then, then I heard it directly, not from him, but from Joe Carson Smith, who just passed away a year or two ago. From, um, and I think that came originally from uh, Pasquale. It could be. Uh, in defense of Christianity and a, and a group, he came up with that phrase. All right. So, it's, you know, I've, I've given you a couple of resources where I have seen it, and, and uh, Neil has added maybe the original source. Um, so, you know, we remember some of those things because they have an impact on us because they ring so true. J.B. Phillips has a book, The Ring of Truth. That book is his translation of the New Testament, representing the ring of truth. Some things have the ring of truth. Some things don't have. But he is saying here in Romans, in answering to Noah's question, that all of people, there is a tremendous instinct of order built into every human being and that's part of the parental requirement is to instill that sense of order to the children. Not to be abusive, but to keep them on the path toward order and the development of order. And then eventually when the gospel comes, which is the ultimate order for all of humanity and is found only in grace because there. It isn't entering into a field of judgmentalism, but it's entering into the field of a promise-oriented people. What a difference. What a positive dynamic. I just don't understand why everyone does not want to be a New Testament Christian. And I believe that if we could ever get the chance to speak to people, and we have in the past, and to where they would stay with you long enough to capture these ideas that we're talking about right now, that they would all become 
as they ought to be with the possession of life. All right, back to our text. Did I answer your question or did I avoid it? Yeah, no, you answered it succinctly. Yeah, that oh. was well done. Thank you, Dave. Okay. Sometimes I get carried away and don't get to the point. Well, I thought that you also might say that the believing comes by hearing and things like that. You know, I mean, I understand that. Well, those are kind of the mechanical things that I was Because they did, these people did not have, I mean, unless they had the law, they did not have the written word in their hands. They did not have it. That's right. They did not have it. But there is just something about the fact that We don't steal because we don't like to be stolen from. That's the instinctive aspect of the law. Okay. So we continue in verse 43, folks. If we don't learn anything else today, please remember this for the rest of your life, that Paul was speaking to them, persuading them to continue toward the grace of God and continue I, I'm sure it was in the present tense I don't remember for sure but I, I think that it was yeah present tense it means they even if they some of them had arrived a lot of them had not but it was a continued in the present tense, continue, continue. All of us must continue toward it, and once we're in it, we must continue in it. <clears throat> we must remain firm in the grace. Take your stand, Jude says, in, take your stand in the grace of God. <clears throat> so we have continued to it. Now once we are in it, we stand in it. That's, our, that's where we stand. <clears throat> and when people understand this, it has, it has a governing aspect over how we conduct our business in the church, how we conduct our business one with another, how we look at one another. All of those things are all affected by how we comprehend the idea and perception of grace. And the next Sabbath, verse 44, I, I would thought we'd finish this chapter, but you know we're not going to do it today, Alex. It's your fault. You're just, you're just not ruling those verses quick enough. <clears throat> but, you know, there's just something here that I can't let go of. We've just got to get a handle on this thing, and it will change how people solve their problems with one another in the body. We don't get snippy. And if we do, we know how to respond to somebody when they get snippy. I get snippy. I get impatient. I get downright angry. I could just bite your head off and spit it out like nails. I mean, that's what I feel like sometimes. But you see, we know how to respond to ourselves and to one another in grace. We get over it. We don't carry it. And that's one of the big differences. 
You just can't carry baggage of today into tomorrow. It ends at 12.01. Now, the next Sabbath day, almost the whole city, I like that word almost, because it means that not everybody was buying into this, but almost the whole city moved together to hear the choir sing Amazing Grace. (laughs) And my heart melts. Is that what it says? To hear the word of the Lord. That's right. They assembled the whole the whole city assembled to hear. And they assembled, by the way, they assembled. There was a group. Individuals made the choice to be a part of the assembly. It's the assembly that God deals with. That's called the church. In this case, he's just talking about the method of gathering together, not the church as a noun. This is a um, an assembled people would be like an adjective or even a verb. They assembled, and they assembled to hear the word of God. It doesn't make any difference who that word comes through. If a little five-year-old can barely read or can't read at all, but he gets up and says what is true to the word of God, you are held as as as. Uh, just as responsible to that truth as you are if the Pope said it. Huh? Well, of course you are. And if the Pope says what is true, we are responsible to that which is true, no matter what it came, where it comes from. I love it when it comes from little children. Yeah, I I think my five year old niece has got more on on the right on a better track than the pulpit. I think so in many cases, and yours may maybe in particular. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> but they they assembled to hear the word of the Lord, and of course, who was they were still in Antioch, were still in Antioch, by the way, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and Paul and Barnabas were the delivering folks here, and. <clears throat> They wanted that message. Paul and Barnabas had it. They were willing to deliver it, and the people came to hear it. And they came to hear the word of the Lord. Because what else matters? And they didn't say, well, just think Jesus. Now, verse 45. But when the Jews saw, and I need that up in the Greek. I need to know what the word saw is. And I need to know the uh, uh, parsing on that word saw. We're looking up the word parsing. Uh, the word saw is the participle, <clears throat> and it's a, which means it's an adjective. 
And it means that it's punctilier action. There's no time action involved in a participle. So you have when they saw, um, and it was in the active voice, they saw. The Jews saw the multitude. That was on their part. They saw the multitude. And when they saw the multitude, the multitude was their cause of being filled with envy. You'll find that is in the passive voice. You see, first of all, actively they saw, and what they saw produced into them, so they were filled passively with the result of the effect of the multitude. They were filled with envy. It was how they saw the multitudes is why the multitudes filled them with envy. You get that? The more of this stuff we read, the more sharper that AD 70 comes into focus. Oh, isn't that true? Uh, yeah. And the prophecy of the Old Testament as to the condition of the Jews in these end days, last days. That's right. <clears throat> now, the Jews and the multitudes, outside of those who were following to hear Paul and Barnabas, they, by what they saw, were filled with envy. Envy. <clears throat> now, envy is the opposite of jealousy. So, how, in what way are they opposite? Envy means that you are envious of what it is, and I'm using the word in the definition, which is not of the right way to go, but to, to begin with. They were filled uh, with envy. They were envious of what it was somebody else had. Jealousy is when you have it and you don't want anybody else to get it. They're opposites. Jealousy is when you're at the top and you don't want anybody threatening you. Envy is when you're down here and you wish you had what it was somebody else had. See, they're diametrically God opposed. Is, God is a jealous God. He wants no, nobody else. God is a jealous God. There are to be no other gods beside him. God is a jealous God. Is he envious? No. 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 Um, so when we are envious, that means that somebody else has something or is something that we kind of wish we had. You know, Alex has got air, and I'm envious of his hair. But if he's got the hair, and he sees me with a knife, he becomes jealous of his hair and doesn't want to lose it to me. You're gonna need you're gonna need something more than a knife. Oh, I don't. I don't think so. I didn't get to be 80 being slow and being run over by 22 year olds. Okay, folks. I guess that's as far as we want to go. Remember, in summary, that we are to face grace. We are to continue toward grace because grace is the objective. These people in that continuation came and wanted to hear more about the content of grace. 
But we also find that there are enemies, which is the power of envy. The Jews were influenced by the masses. It's in the passive voice. The, the multitudes influence the Jews by the Jews' choice, which is active, to have envy, which is passive. And they allowed that to become a driving force in them. And it says they began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Folks, we have to close. Our time is up. We haven't covered many verses today, but I hope there are some things that you can get a hold of and begin to think about and practice. Let us pray. Father, we, we are always a committed people. We are committed to remaining in our lives, either in grace or moving toward grace. Our commitment is to not fall short and to be an encouragement for others to remain moving toward grace. In Jesus' name, amen. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.